Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your host, Rick Lawrence, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Well, hi, everybody. This is Rick Lawrence. It's Season 6, Episode 27, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus. Um, if you're, if this is your first episode you're listening to, I'm author of many books. Uh, the latest is called The Suicide Solution. It's a book about the epidemic of anxiety, depression, and suicidality in our culture and what the latest research and clinical practice merged with the way that Jesus interacts with people says to us about living a whole and healthy life, a kind of life that builds a bulwark against that slide down into suicidality. So it's a, this strange stew, this strange mix. Uh, and it's a strange mix even with the authors. I'm, I'm a co-author of it along with uh, Dr. Daniel Amina, uh, clinical director for the Amen Clinics. And the two of us wrote this book after having not ever met each other before we started on this project. So actually this year long process of writing the book together was also a learning experience for both of us as we um, shared from our own perspective and saw the many, many ways that uh, Jesus has already mapped out for us a way to live healthy, healthy and whole in the world. So in fact, Daniel, Daniel advocated for the tagline of our book to, to be a way to live. Um, in the end, that didn't get chosen, but it is a good description of what the book's about is it's full of like really two thirds of it is full of just a broad menu of practical ways to live in a more whole way, um, grounded in Jesus and informed by the latest research and practice. So suicide solutions available everywhere. Um, last year I published the Jesus center daily, which is a daily devotional. And, um, now that as we're heading into the big, uh, steep water slide into Christmas, starting here in October. As soon as ha Halloween hits, we're on that slide. So the Jesus Center Daily is a great thing to think about uh, for a Christmas gift for someone you know. It's a great way for them to start off through the end of Advent and into the start of the new year with a habit of uh, reading something that draws you close to the heart of Jesus every day. So that's the Jesus Center Daily. It's a great thing to think about now for Christmas gifts coming up. So right now, we are in the second episode, the second episode of an, what's going to be an ongoing focus on this podcast now. I'm calling it Jesus in the Real World. Essentially, what it means is we'll be choosing things that are happening um, in the real world around us right now and using those as a lens through which to see the heart of Jesus. So uh, everything's fair game, and uh, it's already been an interesting exploration for me to just almost randomly choose something that's happening in the world today and start to think about, well, where does that thing, where does Jesus show up in that thing? Where, is, where can we connect to Jesus' heart through that thing? Now, uh, for those of you who are longtime listeners, you won't be surprised to hear me say that our focus in this series is going to continue to be passionately focused on the heart of Jesus. 
not politics or ideologies or rabbit trails. In fact, I think part of my mission in life is to um, help people wake up to uh, the presence of rabbit trails in their life and how often they beckon us. And we, we get off the road into these little side roads that really in the end don't really mean that much. And part of my mission is to call people back to the main road, which is the heart of Jesus. So we'll simply connect what's happening around us to the presence and the priorities and the practices of Jesus. That's what we'll do. So to start off uh, this episode, um, I thought we would revisit the lyrics to the rock band U2's uh, great biggest hit um, called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Uh, probably you've heard this song because it was ubiquitous at the time it was a hit. And uh, uh, U2 has been a, around for, uh, I think we're coming up on 30 years now. They've been around for 30 years, and this is still probably their most recognizable song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So just a little context for this. Uh, Bono, um, lead singer of U2, wrote these lyrics way back in the day. And the band, there's a four members in the band, three of the three of them met in a Bible study at their church and uh, developed a relationship. And then they invited the fourth member in um, later on, who's not a believer, by the way, um, and still isn't after all these years. But these three guys, um, Bono, Edge, and Adam Clayton met in they're a little church Bible study. And 30 years later, they're still following Jesus. They still love Jesus. And this song written early on in their arc um, came right in the middle of their early passion for Jesus. So that's important to understand when you listen to what Bono's lyrics are about in this song. So I'm going to read you the lyrics. They'll make sense to you. You'll probably remember them right away. And then we're going to talk about it. So here's what Bono says. I've climbed highest mountains. I've run through the fields only to be with you, only to be with you. I've run and I've crawled and I've scaled these city walls, these city walls only to be with you. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I've kissed honey lips, felt the healing in her fingertips. It burned like fire, this burning desire. I've spoke with the tongues of angels and I've held the hand of a devil. It was warm in the night and I was cold as a stone, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loose the chains carried the cross of my shame, of my shame. You know, I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So if Bono, who wrote these lyrics, has found romantic love, and he's satisfied all of his cravings, and even committed himself to Jesus, why is he and really us still looking for something? In our honest moments, I think we can all resonate with what Bono is saying here is, yes, we believe. Yes, we're committed. 
yes, we've got a lot of the things that we thought we needed to satisfy our cravings. So why aren't my cravings satisfied? Why am I still looking for something? It's almost embarrassing to admit as followers of Jesus that though we love him and follow him and are committed to him, we're still restless inside. It still feels like we're looking for something. How can that be? And, and like I said, it's embarrassing to admit it if we have those feelings. So I thought it would be interesting for us to explore that restlessness inside, that, that something that's still craving something, even though we have Jesus. How can that be? So in our culture today, we are the most connected, disconnected generation in history. We have never had more tools of connection and habits of connection ever in our history than we have right now. But the research tells us that this is the loneliest generation in American history. Um, my friend, Josh Packard, who's the uh, president of Springtide Research, the executive director, um, he says, for the first time in history, our youngest generations are more lonely and isolated than any other group of people. And their levels of loneliness and social isolation are at all-time highs. Nearly one-third of young people say they have no trusted adults in their lives. 35% they have no, say they have no one to turn to when they feel stressed. So he's just commenting on the Gen Z right there, the youngest, the, the uh, you know, uh, teenager, young adult generation, that a third of them say they have no trusted adults in their life. And a third of them, a little over a third of them say they have simply no one to turn to if they feel stressed. So the question lingers when we think about this, we're the most connected generation in history. We have all of these tools of connection at our disposal. We can uh, see the faces of other people uh, on our phones, <laughs> not just talk to them. The question lingers, why can't we find what we're looking for? For this connected, why are we so lonely and isolated and craving something else? Um, I thought it would be interesting coming out of that question to listen to um, the writer of a New York Times article called Now Going Viral, Meeting Online Friends in Real Life. That'd be interesting to listen to her basically narrate her own New York Times story. So her name is Taylor Lorenz. She'll introduce herself to you in just a second. But I thought it'd be interesting to listen to her story that was published in the New York Times about uh, two months ago. And it gets at this question of a generation of lonely young people. And what are they doing to try to bridge the gap to that? And where does this hunger come from? And what is it like to live in the most connected generation in history and yet still feel lonely? So I thought it'd be interesting for us to listen to this. It's about six minutes long, so it's a pretty good long chunk. But I think it's worth the time to listen to Taylor Lorenz narrate her story. So here we go. Hi, I'm Taylor Lorenz, a technology reporter based in LA covering tech culture and online creators for the Times. Here's a story about how someone who isn't an influencer got hundreds of people from social media to meet up in real life. Marissa Mize, 23, was out to dinner with a friend in the East Village in mid-May when her phone started buzzing. She tried to silence it, but the texts kept coming. They all wanted to know, had she seen the TikTok video? She clicked the link and a young man appeared on screen. If your name's Marissa, he said, please listen up. 
He said he had just overheard some of her friends say they were deliberately choosing to hold a birthday party when she was out of town that weekend. You need to know, he said. TikTok, help me find Marissa. Miss Mize's heart sank. After getting in touch with the man who posted the video, which amassed more than 14 million views, she confirmed that she was the Marissa in question and that it was her friends who had conspired to exclude her from their party. Her feelings were hurt, but rather than sulk, Miss Mize decided to do something about it. She went on TikTok to reveal that the video had been about her. The reaction was instantaneous. People immediately started messaging me saying, let's be friends, she said, screw your old friends. Ms. Mize's story took hold as the coronavirus pandemic has radically transformed relationships. Some old friendships have withered after a lack of in-person interactions and people have forged more online connections to alleviate loneliness. What happened next to Ms. Mize encapsulated those changes with her online and offline worlds blurring to create something new and joyful. Within days of her revelation on TikTok, Ms. Mize, a costume designer, received more than 5,000 messages. Strangers invited her to their birthday parties, housewarmings, and weddings. Some who lived outside of New York City asked if she could set up a post office box so they could be pen pals. Thousands, especially Gen Zers and millennial adults, seemed hungry for new connections as summer began and coronavirus restrictions lifted. I was like, okay, how can I use this to help people, she said. The answer, Ms. Mize decided to hold a meetup. In June, Ms. Mize posted a TikTok telling everyone looking for new friends to meet at Central Park on a Saturday. The video went viral. On the day of the meetup, 200 people showed up. For over eight hours, they laughed, played games, chatted, and bonded. The event was such a success that Ms. Mize started No More Lonely Friends, an online community of people looking to make friends in real life at meetups across the country. Ms. Mize has since held meetups in Los Angeles, San Francisco, Boston, Washington, Philadelphia, and elsewhere. The events are free and open to anyone. Though the crowd skews young, hundreds of attendees of all ages have showed up as word of the events has spread through TikTok's For You page, which is powered by the app's recommendation algorithm. At some point, everyone has had that feeling of loneliness or, man, I have no friends, said Max Grauer, 24, a pastry baker in Los Angeles, who recently attended one gathering. Being locked in your house for months on end, there's a release of going out, seeing new people, and experiencing new faces. The No More Lonely Friends gatherings are the latest example of online interactions turning into real life events in the pandemic. In May, after an invitation to a 17-year-old's birthday party went viral on TikTok, thousands of teenagers showed up in Huntington Beach, California. YouTubers, TikTokers, and live streamers went to make posts about it for those who couldn't attend. Eventually, there was a riot and the police moved in, arresting 150 people and issuing an emergency curfew. Ms. Mize's effort is far less chaotic. She said she tries to greet all the attendees and help make connections between them. She bops from group to group to ensure that no one is left alone. To break the ice and help cover event costs, Ms. Mize recently began selling merchandise, including t-shirts that say, if you're reading this, we should be friends. The cool thing is everyone is there to make friends. So everyone looks like they're already friends, but in reality, everyone showed up alone, she said. Many attendees bond quickly. A large group from the Los Angeles gathering reconnected the next weekend for a beach trip and have started a group chat on Instagram to plan future outings. Some people have joined multiple meetups. McKenna Misarocco, 26, a mental health counselor in Philadelphia, attended a No More Lonely Friends event in her city and recently traveled to New York for one. She said Ms. Mize's exclusion by her friends resonated with her, as did how Ms. Mize then took the experience and turned it into something positive on and off the internet. Social media can be a very bad place for people, Ms. Misarako said. No more lonely friends, quote, brings people that are all in the same boat, looking to make friends and craving good human interaction. 
When you go there, you know everyone has the intention of meeting friends. Giovanni Daniels, 25, a singer in New York, said that he has been to all three meetups in the city after finding out about it on TikTok. You never know who you might meet, he said. Every type of demographic has popped up there. I've met people in their 50s and early teens. The main attendees were those in their late teens to late 20s, he said, and they, quote, go at 11 a.m. and stay until 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. Ms. Mize is planning more gatherings in U.S. cities and said she hoped to expand internationally when the pandemic eases. Though No More Lonely Friends isn't a business, the events have attracted interest from brands. This month, representatives from Arizona Ice Tea showed up to one gathering with free drinks and merchandise. Ms. Mai said she was keeping an eye on the latest coronavirus surge fueled by the more infectious Delta variant. To be safe, she only holds events outdoors. I check the cities, I go to vaccination rates and make sure that things are still open and I'm not doing anything illegal, she said. I always look out for everyone's safety and everyone feels comfortable. As the gatherings have grown, some logistics have become more complicated. One Sunday meetup this month in Central Park attracted more than 600 people over eight hours. I looked it up and as long as I don't have a fold out table or a giant speaker, I don't need a permit, Ms. Mize said. We're just a group of people gathering, but we're talking to people about permits and stuff to make sure. The community also extends online. People search the No More Lonely Friends hashtag and Instagram comments to reconnect with people they met or discuss attending the next event together. At the recent Central Park meetup, Ms. Mize was calm and upbeat. As people clustered in groups, some mingled and greeted potential new friends. One man brought out his acoustic guitar and played under a tree. Others played card games or volleyball. Some ate snacks on picnic blankets. At one point, in a moment captured for TikTok, Ms. Mize grabbed her phone and panned to the cheering crowd behind her as they raised their hands. Ms. Mize, who hasn't spoken to the former friends who excluded her from the birthday party, said she has more than enough new friends now. It's kind of just turned into one big giant family, she said. All right, there you have it. Now going viral from the New York Times. So let's think about this for a second, uh, based on what you just heard. Um, what, do, what do we think the people who show up to these gatherings are really looking for? Are they looking for what Bono says he still can't find? Uh, this idea that there are deep, soulful, satisfying connections out there, but I'm not experiencing them. Um, loneliness can be uh, sort of hidden and, and camouflaged in some ways because we appear to have all of these connections and relationships and we appear to have lots of people around us, but the soul craves something deeper than that. Some sense of, I see you and you see me. Some sense of satisfaction in the connection. Some sense, even of from this story, you can tell some sense of loyalty in a sense that we take friendship seriously and we're committed and you can count on me. So when we think about all those things, how do we get it? Is, is friend making more of a natural and organic thing? Or is it more like a discipline? Do you have to follow some steps? I just saw in my bookcase, I have an old, old, old copy of Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I stopped just for a second the other day when I saw the spine on that book. I've never read it, actually. I, I found it at a used bookstore, and I thought it looked cool. And I thought, someday I'll read this. But the promise of it, how to make friends and influence people, isn't that universal? Isn't that why that book is one of the best-selling books of all time? People are hungry for, how do, you, how do I get this thing that we're all looking for? 
And in a way, uh, if you read that book, you're saying, well, it might be a natural organic thing for some people, but not for me. I need some help understanding how to make deeper friendship connections. What do I do? And this, you know, TikTok inspired idea that happened first in Central Park in New York City and now is spreading across the country is a way of figuring out what to do. What if those who resonate with my story all get together? Because that means that we all have had a similar experience of friend making. So in the end, though, the question that the elephant in the room question sits there, which is why do we, do we have such a hard time finding what we're looking for? It's back to Bono's question again. Why haven't I still found what I'm looking for? <laughs> why, why is it so hard for us in so many ways? And I, obviously, there's lots of ways to approach that question from a psychological viewpoint or a sociological viewpoint. But I thought it'd be interesting for today to use this as a filter to explore what people were looking for when they met and decided to follow Jesus. Um, now, remember, Jesus said a tipping point statement when he said, uh, I no longer call you, uh, you are no longer slaves, but friends. I'm, I call you friends now. Friends know what the other friend is thinking and planning, and friends know the heart of the other. And that's what I'm inviting you into now. I'm inviting you into a deep friendship, not a master-slave relationship. Uh, I think we uh, underestimate the cataclysmic um, impact of Jesus saying this to his disciples at the time, who, whose whole experience of honoring God and worshiping God and following God really did look much more like a master-slave relationship. Uh, obedience was the big characteristic quality. And it's not like um, in the context of Jesus inviting us into relationship with him, obedience doesn't matter, but obedience becomes the fruit of an intimate relationship with him instead of the bar we have to clear to be loved um, or accepted or seen. So Jesus characterizes his, the, the kind of relationship he wants with us as a friendship, a deep friendship. So how did he establish these deep friendships? What did his friends do to deepen their friendship with him and with each other? And how can we partner with Jesus to find what we are looking for? So I thought it'd be interesting for us to take a look at uh, John 15, 13 through 21. So if you have your Jesus-centered Bible lying around there and you're not dri driving right now, you, want, you might want to crack that open to John 15, starting in verse 13. Jesus-centered Bible, by the way, another fantastic Christmas gift for those of you who haven't thought about this before. Um, Jesus-centered Bible, I was the general editor of that uh, Bible. It was released about six years ago now and became hugely popular uh, from people who are just hungry for more of Jesus. Uh, we created a bunch of special features that we included in this Bible that aren't in any other Bible that are attempts, our attempts, our team's attempts to to draw you close to Jesus, no matter where you're reading in the scripture. So if you haven't checked out a Jesus-centered Bible, just check it out on Amazon or go to group.com. You can check it out there as well. So crack open your Bible to John 15, um, verses 13 through 21. We'll read this and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pour ourselves into some questions afterward. So here's Jesus talking to his disciples. 
there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now, now you're my friends. Since I've told you everything, the father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Now, this is my command. So remember, he said, this is back up a little bit. He said, you're my friends if you do what I command. He's not saying, do what I command so you can be my friends. He's saying the evidence that you're my friends is that you do what, I, what I've asked you to do. That, that's, that just makes sense in friendship in general. If you have a close friend who asks you to do something and you just ignore it or do the opposite or, or um, sort of um, denigrate what, what your friend is asking, are you really a friend? So he's saying, you know, the evidence of your friendship is if you do what I'm, I'm asking you to do. So, so here he says, this is my command. Picking up in verse 17, love each other. <laughs> That's his command. Now think about this for a second. These, these are people used to commands. They're, and the Pharisees uh, uh, kind of piled on to the, the commands given in the Pentateuch with a bunch more, hundreds more. There's like 648 or something like that commandments in, in the Old Testament. All of them just get piled on top of the other so these are people that are used to commandments and they're, they're behavioral based commandments. Um, uh, they're jot and tittle as the scripture says, these tiny little, you know, rules and regulations that get added into it. And here Jesus says, here's my command. And I can just imagine, just imagine him saying with this big smile, big kind of uh, uh, not a sarcastic smile, just a knowing smile. When he says, this is my command, love each other, love each other. Whoa, mic drop. <laughs> I just want you to love each other. That's it. In the next verse, verse 18, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally, they'll persecute you. And if they listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. So let's think about this for a minute. What clues can we pick up about how Jesus developed these friendships with these people? What did those who saw themselves as his friends do to get closer to him? Um, let's think about this for a second. What, what did they do to get closer to him? Well, Jesus is implying here that, um, the way he's developed friendships is to expect them to act like friends. He's saying, I don't call you slaves any longer because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. So friends confide, friends tell the truth about themselves and about their life. Friends let the other person in. Friends, um, they treat each other authentically. They, they're not performing. They're not saying things to get something. They're revealing and they're showing themselves for who they really are. 
which requires, of course, a lot of trust. So, and uh, children trust, but as we get older, that trust is beaten out of us. Uh, most adults have struggled to trust because we've been on the business end of betrayals and disappointments and discouragements. And that means that it's hard for us to trust. And some have even experienced uh, uh, abuse to an extent such that trusting is almost impossible for them. So here Jesus says, um, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not relating to you the way that you're used to relating to God. I'm not going to do that. Um, because in a friendship, friends confide in each other. And I want a confiding relationship with you, which uh, also means it's not just like, for instance, when we think about prayer, that in prayer, we just spill out everything we want to Jesus, the, the great Santa Claus in the sky. Of course, he asks us to ask for whatever we want from him. But a confiding relationship means we both confide. He confides with us. We confide with him. And the expectation that we would have a confiding relationship with Jesus is monumental. If we expect on an everyday basis that I can tell Jesus the truth about me and what I'm feeling right now and what I'm struggling with and my joys and uh, surprises and delights, along with my discouragements and my uh, disappointments and my devastations, all of these things I can confide in him because he's trustworthy. The reverse is also true. He wants to confide in us. Do we expect him to confide in us? Do we expect him to show us his heart in the midst of our day? Do we ever pause to ask him what he's thinking or feeling right now? Do we ever slow down to consider what he might have to say about the situation we're in right now in that moment? Um, confiding, a confiding relationship is, an, is a relationship eager to show ourselves. And Jesus is saying, I am eager to show you myself. Will you, will you pursue me like a friend or not? Then he reminds his disciples, hey, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Have you ever been chosen by someone that you thought was sort of out of your league? or maybe a friend group that you thought was out of your league. Uh, I, I've had this experience, you know, we all have had this experience of being feeling like you're on the outside, not on the inside of a group, and just longing to be included somehow. Um, I remember um, when Carl Medeiros first invited me to uh, speak, or I, I can't remember if he invited me to speak or just come to <laughs> one of his Simply Jesus gatherings, and I jumped at the chance. And I remember the first Simply Jesus gathering was in Denver at a big old historic church down in Denver, downtown Denver. And the main speakers in his speaker group were N.T. Wright and Philip Yancey. So there I am, an outsider looking in, thinking, wow, could I ever be invited into that circle? Wouldn't that be so fun? <laughs> to be sitting around talking with N.T. Wright and Philip Yancey and others that I'd had so much respect for over the years. Well, eventually I was invited. Um, I, I was asked to speak at, one, at the next year's event by Carl, and he invited me to a special gathering that he always had for those who were going to be speaking. 
it happened the day before the event and it was an evening where you just sat around in a circle and and it was a chance for Carl really to gather people around him that he really loved and respected and just have a long conversation that night. So I went to that first one and, and I remember walking into the room thinking, I don't belong here. And I know I don't belong here. I just hope the rest of them don't think I don't belong here. <laughs> and I remember sitting down and feeling, you know, that kind of tingle or electricity of, and the tension of how is this going to go? And here are people that I've respected for a long time. Um, how can I make myself known to them or start some kind of attachment to them? And just all your insecurities come out, all of those uh, destructive and negative tapes that are inside, all that stuff comes out, but also at the same time, excitement of getting to know these people, but still feeling the entire time, I really am an outsider. This might be a circle, but there's another circle of <laughs> a fewer number of people that are around Carl. That uh, That's the real circle. Um, this feeling that you're always on the outside, never on the inside. I wonder if you've felt that before. So here's Jesus saying to his disciples, they think they chose him. They think they're the ones that came after him. And he says, no, no, you didn't choose me. I chose you. That is the fascinating thing about friendship with Jesus. In every case, he's choosing us first. He wants us in his inner circle. He's delighted to have us in his inner circle. He can't wait for us to be close to him. He chooses us because he wants us close to him. He's made it clear. He wants us to be inside with him. Um, as inside as we possibly can be. I in you, you in me. This is what friendship looks like to Jesus. I chose you first. This is how a lot of deep friendships happen. Somebody, uh, maybe you're doing the choosing. You, you experience somebody and you make the first move. You choose. You choose to reach out. You choose to extend yourself. You're ch you choose to invite. Or you're chosen and invited um, yourself. One way or another, there's an invitation in every friendship, an invitation of vulnerability the first step to a confiding relationship. Then he says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So he's saying, I chose you and, here, and here's what I want. I want you to go and live a very fruitful life. I, I want the, the outcome of our friendship to be lasting fruit. Um, I, want it, uh, I want you to be um, so caught up in our relationship that you can ask my father whatever you want to um, uh, under the umbrella of our friendship, and he'll, he'll give it to you um, because you're already doing what, I, what I've asked you to do. Uh, of course, he's going to supply what you need to do what I've asked you to do. He wants, us, he wants us to live lives that produce fruit, not lives of quiet desperation. <laughs> uh, he wants us to live fruitful lives. And out of that, he says, this is, you know, boils down to, this is my command. Learn to love each other. Learn to love each other. That's what it means to be in a confiding friendship. It means that in every moment, what you're thinking about is how can I love this person? 
It doesn't mean always being nice to this person because niceness isn't always the way to love someone. Sometimes our friends, our best friends, need the truth from us um, or they need the hard truth um, instead of the spun truth. Um, our best friends will tell us the truth, won't they? Knowing that um, their love for us is the overshadowing uh, truth of our relationship. And then he says this about friendship with him. It means that we, as we get close to him in this confiding relationship, that we're going to uh, start to act and speak and, and um, live in the world like he does. Because he says, if the world hates you, just remember it hated me first. <laughs> the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you're no longer part of the world. What are you a part of? You're a part of me. You're a part of me. And to be part of me means you come out of that world. You leave the kingdom of man and you enter the kingdom of God. And now your fidelity, your identity is tied to the kingdom of God. And that means coming out of that world, just like any kind of dysfunctional family system. If you, if you have experience being in a dysfunctional family, which I hope you're saying yes right now, because every family is dysfunctional in some level. But if you have experience being in a dysfunctional family, you know, that if you make a move to become more healthy, to leave the dysfunctional system that you've acclimated to, that system is going to punish you for doing that. And Jesus is saying the same thing. If you leave the system of this world, the system you used to call your family, and you join my family, it is going to punish you. It is going to hate you for upsetting the apple cart of its system, to mix two metaphors. Um, so, of course, the system we're leaving is not going to like it. It's going to punish us for that. That's what all dysfunctional systems do. They punish you for leaving it, for, for not playing the game right. So then he gives him some words of assurance. Do you remember what I told you? Slaves not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they'll per persecute you. But if they had listened to me, they would listen to you, right? They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. This is Jesus' last word to them. So look, he's saying, um, you're, you're going to feel the pain of rejection, but don't forget, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You're already in. You're now in my inner circle. So, so you shouldn't be surprised that that system that you're leaving would be so angry and hateful towards you now because you've, you've done the unforgivable sin. You've left the system, but don't forget, I chose you. You're in my inner circle now. You're in a new family. You might say you're born again. Yes, he says to Nicodemus, of course, you have to be born of the flesh and blood. But, but all who follow me have to be born of the spirit too. Born of the spirit means joining a new family. And so what Jesus is really saying is friendship with me means joining my family. Now you're a part of my family. You're my friends. You're in you'll always be a part of my family. So based on what we know about these friendships and how they were developed and what Jesus is inviting into them into, what are some of the dynamics that make these friendships move deeper and more rich? Well, we've already talked about authenticity, the invitation, the confiding nature of them, the telling the truth part of them, um, the, the, uh, I consider you family part of them. It's that deeper level of acceptance and being seen for who you are that 
that slowing down to appreciate the beauty in front of you and then saying, describing what that beauty is. These are all ways that invite people into friendship. We've all experienced um, the kind of friendship that develops when someone seems to get us, someone seems to delight in us or appreciate us. I have a friendship in my life. I have several friendships in my life that all started with uh, people who, who just, in, in my own loneliness, in my own isolation, as I'm walking my own path, um, which is all centered around Jesus, it has collected some friendships along the way that where people have said, you too, and they've just been absolutely passionate about what I'm passionate about, and they have said so, and they've been drawn to my passion because it speaks to their own passion, and our friendships have developed out of this kind of sideways pursuit of, of someone coming to life and feeling the energy of just being around me because they feel a kindredness to what I'm talking about or who I am. And it, that act of feeling delighted in is such a powerful invitation into friendship. Um, just the sense that the person that you're talking with is paying attention and is and is clearly being impacted by your presence and delights in who you are. Those are very attractive things. And th this is how a lot of deep friendships are formed. Will we have the authenticity and the courage to delight in what we delight in, in others? Because when we do, if we uh, learn to delight in the beauty around us in other people, we will automatically invite them closer and closer into relationship, but we'll have to have the courage to feel and experience what we delight in those people and then find a way to communicate it without being weird. <laughs> I guess that's the last proviso. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from how Jesus developed these friendships. It doesn't mean this is easy, but if we want something that is deeper than the connected but disconnected reality that we live in now, we're going to have to find a way to take more risks with the people around us to show us the truth, show them the truth about who we are and to taste and see the goodness of the truth about who they are and say so. Um, this was what will draw us out of what is the norm in our culture right now. So think, let's go back and think about the lyrics to I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For Again. So I just think it's such an honest song that Bono wrote. He's, he's saying, I'm still restless inside. I'm still looking for something. Well, he, maybe you could make this your prayer um, today. Um, Jesus told this parable of a man who has some unexpected guests show up in the middle of the night. He doesn't have any bread at home. So he goes to knock on his friend's door and the friend's already in bed. So he won't come down. And in the parable, this is so funny that Jesus tells this parable this way, but in the parable, he, uh, he is clearly the one who's in bed and gone to, gone to bed for night because he's trying to tell them um, how he would like them to pray, his disciples in, in this parable. And so he is the one who's gone to bed tonight, and he is the one who said, no, it's too late. I'm not coming down. And the friend just keeps knocking on the door, uh, won't stop. And eventually the guy that's gone to bed comes downstairs and grudgingly gives the guy the bread that he needs. And Jesus says, do that. <laughs> Keep knocking. He calls it shameless persistence. So we're, we still haven't found what we're looking for. 
Well, let's be shamelessly persistent about that then. Let's knock on God's door to find the satisfaction that our soul is longing for. Let's keep knocking on his door. If you feel that longing, don't stop knocking because the alternative is worse. It's called cynicism. We keep ourselves safe by being, becoming cynics. In that, and in that way, we keep everyone at arm's length from us. Let's not do that. Instead, let's just keep knocking on the door till the blurry-eyed master shows up at the door and says, here's your bread. <laughs> I just think that's such a funny story that he would tell about himself. I think he said it with a wry smile on his face. Um, but he's inviting us to have that kind of shameless persistence relationship with him. So if you still haven't found what you're looking for, uh, keep knocking on God's door at midnight. He likes it. All right, gang. This is Pain Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, Season 6, Episode 27. You can go to painridiculousattentiontojesus.com uh, to look for links about what we've talked about today. Or just go to your SoundCloud link. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, you can go to the, the episode page and you'll see links for what we've talked about today. This is a podcast from ricklawrence.com. You can subscribe on Google. Google let me say that again. You can subscribe on <laughs> Google Play or iTunes. And we'll see you again next time.